And thank you also to all of you, whether you're in Perth or outside of Perth, who has been following our Seven Churches uh, series. And today, we've actually come to the last church that we will cover uh, in this Seven Churches uh, series. Now, some of you may be wondering uh, why we reversed the order. And we have spoken about the church at Laodicea last week, when actually it is the last church. But we, we talked about it last week. And then we kept the Church of Philadelphia uh, for today. Uh, this is simply because this week is the start of our missions month, okay? And the church in Philadelphia really is the missionary church or the Great Commission church of that time. And so what I'll do is that I will approach this morning's study through the lens of missions, and then I let it weave into our missions month, and it'll set us up for the next two weeks uh, as well. So if you have your Bibles, would you go with me now to Revelations chapter 3? I'm going to read for you verse 7 to 13. Revelations chapter 3, verse 7 to 14, uh, 13, the church in Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Notice that. And what he opens, no man can shut, and what he shuts, no man can open. I know your deeds. See, I place before you an open door. Don't miss that also. An open door, and so that, that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come, fall down at your feet, and acknowledge that I have loved you. And since you kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is, coming, that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth." I am coming soon. So it's about the end times again. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. But the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, for whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. Let's bow and we have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you open up your word and allow us to feed upon it. I pray that as your servant deliver your word, may you anoint me with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Give me a prophetic unction so that I may say the words that are relevant to the people listening in this morning. And now in Jesus' name, speak as your servants heareth. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the best ways in which we can know a, a local church is to know the city that the local church is located. And I'll tell you why. Because oftentimes, the strongholds that are in the city tends to infiltrate and take root in the local church because that's the spiritual environment that the church exists in. Now, so let me begin. Uh, as we get to know this church in Philadelphia, let's begin by getting a background to the city of Philadelphia. Now, the word Philadelphia, many of you would know, is it means brotherly love, Philadelphia, brotherly love. In fact, there is a city in the United States of America that's also called the city of Philadelphia, which literally means the city of brotherly love. Now, this city 
uh, of course, it's not, the one, it's not referring to the church in, uh, in America. This is referring to uh, that time, um, then known Turkey, and they have a, church, a city called Philadelphia. Now, this city was founded in 150 BC by King Attalus, who came actually from Pergamon. Uh, that's the interesting thing. This, this king actually came from Pergamon. He founded the city of Philadelphia. And, and you all know, if you have followed us on this series, that Pergamon is actually the third church, the church in Pergamon. And the, the unique thing about Pergamon is that uh, the Bible says that's where Satan has his throne. Uh, this you'll find in Revelation chapter 2. Now, Attalus was, was a king that came from Pergamon, and he was well known for one thing. He had a great love and admiration for his brother, his actual blood brother by the name of Eumenes. And his, he loved his brother so much that he literally founded this city, and he named the city after his love for his brother. So he called it Philadelphia, or brotherly love. Now, what's more interesting is that this city of Philadelphia was famous for three things that has bearings uh, on the content of, uh, of this letter, okay? And the three things that the city of Philadelphia was famous for was, number one, Philadelphia was the focal point of five major ancient roads, okay? It was a focal point. Five major ancient roads actually meet in Philadelphia. And this city was actually the focal point for these five ancient roads that then goes out to the east. So it was, as it were, a gateway to Asia. So it is true Philadelphia from in Turkey that everything goes out to Asia. Now, I thought this is so relevant, particularly for those of us who are in Perth, right? Because Perth is a gateway to Asia. How many of you know that? Huh? You don't? Perth, literally, it's a gateway to Asia. For Australia, I think this is the city that takes us to Asia. We are nearest to Asia. And, and interestingly, King Attalus actually built this city with the intent of spreading his paganistic religion to, re to, to the regions beyond. See, rem remember where he came from? He came from Pergamon, which is where Satan has his throne. That was where all the religions of the world converged, you know. And what King Atlas wanted to do was he literally set up Philadelphia as a, for missionary purpose from a wrong side. He wanted to export paganism to the world. In fact, this city at that time was nicknamed Little Athens. Why? Because the idols, because of all the idols, the, oh, the altars and the gods that lined this city. And what Atlas wanted to do was to lure all the travelers coming from all the different five roads and then lure them into paganism and then export them into Asia. That was what he wanted to do. It was his missionary strategy to export his paganistic religion. So that's number one. Number two is that Philadelphia was located in a volcanic region. It is the place where you find uh, volcanic eruption. This is where you find earthquakes. And volcanic eruptions and earthquakes were very real danger that this city faces. But along with this danger also comes prosperity. Why? Because the volcanic lava actually resulted in very fertile soil, which the people in Philadelphia used to actually cultivate amazing vineyards to get wine. And then what did they do? They re-export this to, to Asia. So they raised wonderful wine. Uh, it's a wine country, if you like. And then they export their wine to Asia. So 
Can I suggest this to you? Both the major exports of Philadelphia has to do with spirits. Okay, the first was demonic spirits that they want to export in paganism. Okay, and the second is alcoholic spirits through wine. Okay, uh, I'm, I also enjoy some wine, and so I'm not saying that you shouldn't drink wine. All I'm saying is they, they, they were trying to, to export this, okay? And so everything that they export has to do with spirits. Now, here's the third thing. Philadelphia was also very famous for pillars, now, in, if you walk into Philadelphia at that time, the city was lined with pillars all over. Why? Because of the name, the, these pillars are used by King Attalus to write the names of people that the king wants to honour. So whenever there is a volcanic eruption, the houses may crumble and collapse, but the pillars continue to stand. So if you go and visit um, uh, the, the ancient ruins of the seven churches, you will see pillars everywhere because pillars are a symbol of longevity. See, and whenever the... Uh, this, that is why the Lord Jesus also spoke about pillars in this letter. He said that uh, for those who overcome, he will make a pillar in the temple of my God. You find this in chapter 3, verse 12. He overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, with all that as a backdrop, here's the thing. In this paganistic city that is full of idols and pillars stood a tiny little church. I have a feeling that this church was actually started because Christians also came through these five roads to Asia. And how many of you agree? It would be very difficult to keep your faith in this multi-religious, paganistic city. But the beautiful thing I want to share with you is just like the persecuted church in Smyrna, this tiny church in Philadelphia also received absolutely no rebuke at all from our Lord Jesus. Jesus had nothing but good to say about this church. And the Lord actually came to this church in Philadelphia as the one who is holy and true. And he said to them, I love you. I have set before you an open door because I hold the key of David. Sometimes you and I may feel like the church in Philadelphia. We may feel small and have little strength. But I want you to know the Lord also said to us, I have set before you an open door. And what I open, no man can shut. And what I shut, no man can open. I believe with all of my heart, brothers and sisters in FCC, this is a destiny for us to fulfill, both individually and corporately. It is so good to know throughout this entire lockdown season, God has been good to us. How many of you will say amen to that? God has been good to us. You know, and throughout this time, you know, I was thinking, you know, that after the, when this lockdown happens, things are going to fall apart. Things did not fall apart. But God actually helped us to reset. He helped us to realign, helped us to revisit the foundations of the church and to make sure that we are pouring our time, our resources, our energy into the right things. And I thank God for every connect group that God has blessed us with in this church. 
I thought with this lockdown and we being, uh, there are still many of us who are very traditional, we only give through our, uh, through our offering bags. I thought oh, our giving is going to drop, drop down all the way. But I'm glad to report to you that during this entire season, we actually did not decrease, but God helped us to increase. And God is good to us. And I tell you this, there are three things. I believe that we have a destiny that God has for us as a local church. Okay? And this destiny is not about building what is inside, but it's about building what is outside. Okay? But before we can actually walk into our prophetic destiny, there are three things we need to know. And this passage has a lot to inform us. The first is this. What is this key of David? Because the key of David is, is central to this whole thing, right? What, what is the key of David? Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to this. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Who holds this key? Jesus, right? He holds this key of David. And what he opens, no man can shut. What he shuts, no man can open. Now, where is this key of David from? Where, where, where did it come from? The key of David is actually a reference to an incident that is recorded in Isaiah chapter 22. Now, let me give you the backdrop to this. What happened was, at that time, there was a chief of staff, if you like, in King Hezekiah's palace. King Hezekiah was, in, was, was uh, ruling at that time, and, and he had a chief of staff whose name was Shepna. Okay? And he, this guy, Shepner, because he was the right-hand man of the king, he became arrogant. He became very self-seeking. And God, in the end, had to step in. God intervened and said this to Shepner in Isaiah 22, verse 18. He said this, Beware. In other words, watch out. The Lord is about to take firm hold of you and hold you away, you mighty man. He will roll you up tightly like a ball and then throw you into a large country. When you read this verse, it should give you a mental picture of, of the Lord picking up Shepna, roll him up like a cricket ball, and then chuck him out. Okay, this is the picture that you should get. Okay, and it is also prophetically speaking of the day when this guy, Shepna, is going to be hurled out into a big country. What is that? That's the, the, the captivity that is coming. It's prophetic of the day when God will allow him to be taken like a ball, cast into Babylon and become a captive. And then, at the same time, he will be then be replaced. After he's taken out, he'll be replaced by a godly man by the name of Eliakim, who will be given the authority that Shepna was seeking after. So read the next few verses in Isaiah 22. Listen to this one. Don't miss this. Isaiah 22, verse 20 to 22, describe it this way. In that day, after you are hurled out like a ball, I will summon my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilgal, and I will clothe him with your robe, fasten your shaft around him, and hand your authority over to him. And he will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of, of Judah. I will place him on his shoulders, the key to the house of David. And what he opens, no man can shut. And what he shuts, no man can open. It is a prophetic prophetic picture of what God is going to do with Satan. He's going to take away the authority that he has gotten after man fell and throw him out. And then God, he will replace it with his chosen one. Who is that? Jesus. 
and then he'll be given these keys of David. And what he opened, no man can shut. What he shuts, no man can open. Eliakim was an earthly picture of the holder of the king of David, of the keys of David. And give him, which means what? Once you have this key, listen, don't miss this. Once you have this key, it gives you access to the king, number one. And number two, you decide who can come in and who can get out of the city. It was a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ, the great son of David, the one who holds the key to the kingdom of God. And this key of David really speaks of one thing, and don't miss this, brothers and sisters, it speaks of delegated authority that God is given. It speaks of this delegated authority. And, and the picture is this. If you are a king of a country, let's say I'm the king of a country, and I'm going away, so what do I do? I pass this key to my deputy. And once my deputy got this key, whatever he opens, no one can shut. Whatever he shuts, no one can open. Why? Because I have given him delegated authority. Are you with me? Now, the same thing has happened to us as a church, brothers and sisters. The same thing has happened to us. God the Father gave the key of delegated authority to Jesus, His Son. And then Jesus gave the key of delegated authority to who? He gave it to His church. And brothers and sisters, today, who holds the key of delegated authority? We do. Do you realize that you and I hold the key of David? And we now have this key of delegated authority. How do I know that? Matthew chapter 16, look at verse 19. Jesus is talking here to Peter, right? When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus turned to him and said this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. And in this verse, in Matthew chapter 16, the you there, I will give you the key. This you is singular. It is given to Peter. But in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, now Jesus speaks to all of us. And he said this, I tell you the truth, whatever you, in this case it's plural, that means it's all of us, right? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. And again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that you and I have been given the keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose. Somebody say amen. You know, you know what that's... What does that to bind and to lose mean? Nowadays, we don't use this as much. <laughs> I need to explain this. What does it mean to bind and to lose? The older translation of the Bible actually used the word forbid and permit. Whatever you bind is whatever you, 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 you forbid it, it will be forbidden. And whatever you permit, whatever you lose, will be loose, you see? The Greek word for the word bind is the word dio, which actually means to fasten or to tie up, okay? It's basically to stop or to immobilize. That's what it is, okay? You actually have authority to stop something, to immobilize something, spiritually speaking, 
Okay, and the Greek word for lose is lu, L-U-O, which means to lose anything that is tied up. It means it's talking about someone who's actually bound, and you lose that person. You set that person free. You release that person from prison. So hear me, brothers and sisters. This scripture actually informs us that Jesus has given us power to bind and to lose in reference to Satan and his forces of darkness. And I, I don't think it is about us personally binding Satan, but I think it's more to prohibit or to forbid the works of the evil one. How many of you know the devil is up to no good? He's doing stuff in our family, you know? He's doing stuff in our city, in our community that is not of God. And guess who has the authority to actually forbid it? You and I do. We hold the keys of David. Okay, but the main point I have to say is this, that we have been given great authority from the Lord and we need to exercise that authority through prayer. That authority to tie up, you know, that, and, and it's all tied up to the keys of the kingdom. I, I think it means that the church, like Eliakim, has been given the delegated authority by our King Jesus. And we need to take that authority. This means that we as a church has been given the delegated authority to tie up the works of the devil and his forces and to set free, release those who have been in captivity because of the works of the evil one. And the church has been given authority over the gates of hell. And let me tell you this, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's, the picture you get is a church that is advancing rather than a church that is defending. And when you use your delegated authority given by the Lord Jesus, we can hold back the forces of darkness and we can advance the purposes of God. And somebody ought to shout amen. And do you realize that today, you and I hold that key of delegated authority to bind, to loose, to open, to shut, to permit, and to forbid. But hear me, it is not just anything we like but it's only whatever God desires and decrees. So whatever you see in the Bible, whatever you see in the Scriptures, we can use the key of David, the key of delegated authority to decree God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Church, we hold the key of David. And God has ordained that you and I become partners with Him in governing the affairs of the kingdom. And that is why I actually believe that we have authority to police our community spiritually. There are stuff happening in our community, in our city that is not of God. And you and I hold that authority to actually forbid it, to stop it spiritually in warfare prayer. We bind that which is contrary to the will of God and then we release that which is within the will of God. And the way we exercise this spiritual authority is through warfare prayer. Hello. <laughs> and now you're, um, those of you who are here, by the way, you're not watching a screen. <laughs> so you can talk back to me now, okay? You can talk back to me. Shout an amen, isn't it? It's true. Augustine, the, 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 found, the, the father of the church says this, you know, without man, God will not. But without God, man cannot. S.D. Gordon said it this way, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is to pray. And prayer is striking the winning blow and service is gathering up the results. 
I think it's like a safety deposit box, you know. Uh, God wants to partner with us. It's like a safety deposit box. Your, your banker holds one key that can open your deposit box. We hold the other key. And then when we put both keys together, that's when the box opens and we can enjoy the treasures that are inside. Heaven holds the key by which decisions governing earthly affairs are made. But we hold the key by which these decisions are implemented. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, therefore. It is implementing God's decision. God already decided we implement. It's reinforcing God's view on earth as it is in heaven. It is using the keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose. And before we can become the, the great commission church like Philadelphia, we must first understand you have the key of David, the delegated authority from God. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Listen to this. Jesus said to his disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy and nothing will by any means harm you. Now, I understand that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we must always walk in humility before God. We always recognize that apart from him, we can do nothing. That without him, we are spiritually bankrupt. I understand that. And we must always walk in that posture of humility. But on the other hand, don't miss this, brothers and sisters, there is also a place for us to rise up in authority, delegated authority that God has given to us to advance the purposes of God. Are you with me? And that's why we always say the disciple that we hope to raise in FCC is this, those who know how to walk in a posture of humble humility, yes, but also humble bonus, that we have that bonus within us to know, in myself, I cannot do anything, but in Christ, I can do all things. So you stand up in your, with authority that comes from God and you exercise it in Jesus' name. Don't take it sitting down. Stand up and fight for your family. Fight for our city. Fight for our community. Because God has given us this authority and He has set before us an open door. So what is this open door? That's the next thing you must know. What is this open door? I think it's, I would like to apply it in this context of two things. Number one, it's the door of salvation. Brothers and sisters, we hold the key to the kingdom of God. You know why? Because we are bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have in our hands the only thing that has the power to save. Do you know that? Paul says, right, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the only thing that can save. And as a church, we are carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a church, you hold the key, therefore, to the salvation of our community. And the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning, though you feel like you have little strength, but I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I tell you, my friends, we are planted in Perth to serve this city. We are given this building in Willerton so that we can serve this community. And as we make our commitment to this land that God has set before us an open door of salvation. I think the moment we recognize that we are here for a purpose, much more than just having a building here so that we can all have this great place to meet in, I think we are placed here for a purpose. 
I think we are placed here to serve this community. And, and we have been given the key of David that can unlock fresh moves of God on earth as it is in heaven. So let the church rise in prayer, use these keys of the kingdom, and we exercise our delegated authority to bind the works of the devil in this city, in this community, and we lose the power of the gospel to save where we are. And listen, the church, not the devil, holds the balance of power when it comes to the salvation of a city. We hold the balance of power. Somebody say amen. This is the door that God put before us and it's open and no one can shut it. The door of salvation. Here's another one. I think it is the door to the nations. As King Atlas wanted to use Philadelphia to bring deception to the nations, Jesus has placed before his church the open door of missionary outreach to the nations. The key to open the doors to the nation is the key of David and the delegated authority God gave us to bind and to loose, to forbid and to permit. God in His sovereignty opened the doors of the nations in the heavenly realms. But the church must reinforce or enforce God's will on earth as it is in heaven. God decreed it, but the church prayed into existence using the keys of the kingdom. And what God opens, no man can shut. And I had the great privilege of taking several prayer journeys uh, uh, into the 1040 window, which is where most of the unreached peoples of the world are found. And um, I have uh, the privilege of just walking the streets in Urumqi, uh, in, in northwest China, where we adopted the Uyghur people and wanted to reach out to them. I walked the land of East Timor, praying in all the major sites in the city, and also that God's glory may descend upon that land. I think it was a powerful time just engaging the unreached peoples of the world and praying through their land. And I think we should do more of that, taking prayer into the nations, taking prayer into our community, taking prayer into our city. And then we say, God, come and do your thing here in this city. See, and with the keys of David, we can bind the principalities and powers over nations and peoples in the 1040 window. And we see ancient strongholds come down in Jesus' name. Today, the weaker people has got a witness amongst them. There are churches now planted where the weaker people are. In East Timor today, we have churches planted everywhere across the land of East Timor. Because that's where we put our energy in and that's where we take these keys of David and we walk into the nations. We hold the key of David that can unlock the door of salvation to the nations. And church, in these last days, I believe God is calling us to be the church in Philadelphia. God has placed before us an open door that no one can shut. It's the open door of salvation for our community and for our city. And over the next two weeks, I want to talk to you about how we can do that and how we as a church can begin to own our community. I think God put us here for a purpose. And we are planted in Perth so that we can take ownership of the city of Perth. Amen. And we're going to talk about that over the next two weeks. And God also gave us the open door to the nations of the earth. That's why we have our global missions See, and King Atlas may export demonic spirits and alcoholic spirits, but we want to export the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do. See, and what we need to do is to cooperate with God in using the keys of David 
the key of delegated authority to bind the works of the devil and to loose the captives in Jesus' name. Let salvation come to our communities, our schools, our campuses, and the nations of the earth through the proclamation of the gospel. Hallelujah. And, and church, we need to have this fresh revelation of who we are in Christ. We have been raised to sit with Christ in heavenly places, far above every principalities and power. You and I hold the keys of David. We have delegated authority and we have the power to bind and to lose, to forbid and to permit. And we take hold of that in Jesus' name. And if we do that, Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, the Lord tell us this, I know your deeds. See, I planted before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, but yet you kept my word and you have not denied my name. How should we respond to an open door? I think we need to take the little strength, the power that we have, and we stay true to God's word, okay, and we hold on to His name. And then through warfare prayer, we bind the works of darkness, release the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. And we turn things around in Jesus' name. Amen. We keep our focus on that open door to our community, the open door to the nations. And then as Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. If we stay faithful through all this, through all our circumstances, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says this. This is the promise. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I think this is a very clear reference to what Jesus said in Matthew 24 of the times of great distress and great tribulation that was coming upon the earth. It's talking about the end times. Things will get worse before it gets better, brothers and sisters. There will be wars, rumors of wars. There will be famines and earthquakes, pestilence and stuff like that. There will be persecution and wickedness will increase. But these are only signs that tell us that He is coming soon and He will deliver us from the hour of trial. Those who stand firm to the end will be saved. And I got good news for you. No one can ever take away your crown. What an encouragement uh, that is. And to seal their commitment, the Lord Jesus gave them this awesome promise in Revelation 3, verse 12 and 13. And I leave this with you. To the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and then I will, and, and which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever's ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I told you earlier, right, that the city of Philadelphia is famous for pillars. And on those pillars, the king will write the names of those whom he wants to honour. Pillars are symbols of strength and permanence. And it's very, very meaningful, I think, to the Philadelphians because they are in an earthquake zone. And often when the earthquake comes, their houses collapse, they have to leave their city and then come back and rebuild again. 
and several occasions it has happened in their history. But the Lord Jesus wanted them to know that if they remain faithful to what Jesus wants them to do, they will become pillars in the temple of God, firm and secure for eternity. And Jesus said to all of us, if we will be faithfully taking these keys of David and exercise it on behalf of our city, our family, our campuses, exercise it on behalf of our community, he will, there is a crown waiting for us and he will put his name on us and he will make us pillars in the temple of our God. And I think this is so much better to have our names written in the pillars in heaven than to be to have your names written in the pillars in Philadelphia. How many of you agree? Because now you'll be honoured, not just by King Atlas, you are honoured by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Let me end this evening. Uh, this, this evening, this, I, I didn't preach that long. <laughs> okay. uh, let me end this, this morning by just saying this. This is a prophetic burden uh, I have for us. And then after this, we'll pray. You know, I believe that every city, every territory has a voice or a cry, you know, that goes up to heaven. How do I, how do I come to this? I read a few verses in Genesis chapter 18. Let me read this for you. Genesis 18, in verse 20 to 21. The children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt. And then this is what happened. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Oh, no, this is uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll, I'll come to the Egypt one later. Genesis 18, 20 to 21. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that have reached me. If not, I will know. See, what happened was the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was so steeped in sin that there was, the people were crying out, you know, and, and there was a cry that rises from the city. The evil, the wickedness that were there, it rises, you know, to, to heaven. And, and the Bible tells us, you know, that the cry of the city is heard by someone. Heard by who? who? Who hears the cry of the city? It's God. God hears the cry of the city. And then he said, the outcry against Solomon and Gomorrah is so great. Their sin so grievous. I'm going to go down and see for myself. See, and the cry that rises to the, to, the, to, the, to the heavens caused God to come down and intervene in what was going on there. The cry of the city is heard by God. Today, if I were to ask you to think of different cities, there's a different sound that can come out of different cities. In some cities, if I ask you to just think of that city, you can immediately think of gambling. You know, you can think in terms of prostitution or think of poverty or think of something like that. There's a cry that rises from every city and this cry is heard by God. Now, let me show you another cry. This time, it's not a wicked cry, it's a righteous cry. And you find it in Exodus 2, verse 23. And then I'll, I'll tie this together. Exodus 2, 23, the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt. And then they begin to cry out to God and this is what happened. During that long period, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groan in their slavery, and they cry out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to who? Went up to God again. God hears the cry of the city. And then God heard their groaning, and He remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Here you see another cry coming out of yet another city. But you notice that this time, the cry is a righteous cry not a wicked cry, a righteous cry. 
And this cry is heard by God. So here's the thing, listen to me. The wicked cry of Sodom and Gomorrah resulted in the judgment of God. But the righteous cry of the Israelites resulted in the deliverance of Israel. Are you getting this? The wicked cry brought the judgment of God, but the righteous cry brought the intervention of God. The destiny of our city, the destiny of Perth is going to depend on this one thing. Is the cry rising from Perth one that is wicked or is it one that is righteous? And who determines that? There is only one group of people that can raise a righteous cry to God. Guess who that is? It's the church. The destiny of the unreached peoples, the destiny of our city, the destiny of your campus students, the destiny of your high school kinetics depends on this one thing. Is the cry rising from that one righteous or is it one that is wicked? Is the cry rising from our marketplaces one that is wicked or one that is righteous? That determines the outcome. The destiny of the unreached peoples depend on this. Is the cry rising from the people groups one that is wicked or one that is righteous? And that answer depends on the church in the city. If we don't raise a righteous cry, there will be nothing but wickedness rising to the throne of God. And it can bring nothing but judgment. But we need to turn that table around. How do we do that? Exercise the keys that has been given unto us, delegated authority. And I believe the Holy Spirit is challenging us this morning. Rise. Own our land. Own our city. Own our campuses. Own our schools. Own our community. And let's raise a righteous cry to the throne of God. We take this key of David and exercise our spiritual authority. We raise a righteous cry to God on behalf of this land. Raise a righteous cry on behalf of our people. Amen. That's what we need to do. The devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I come that you may have life and life to the full. God's desire for all of us is to take this key. Exercise it in your homes. Don't let the devil break up our families. Don't let the devil drive a wedge between our parents and our children, between the husband and the wife. Don't allow that to happen. We take authority and you bind the works of the evil one and you set the captives free. Don't let the devil run everywhere around the church bringing disunity and division, hindering Christians in their walk with God, distracting us from the great commandment and the great commission. No, we take authority and we tell devil, you get lost. You have no place here. This belongs to Jesus. Don't let him steal your wealth and steal your health and don't let him, you know, play havoc with your emotions and your relationships. Don't take a stand. And church, you have been given God's key of delegated authority and we need to exercise it on behalf of our family, our churches, our communities, our campuses, our cities and the nations of the earth. As parents, I challenge you, rise up, assert the authority of God and bind the works of the devil in your homes. As workers in the marketplace, you assert the authority God gave you and you exercise it in your workplaces. As residents, we assert the authority of God in our community and we enforce God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Would you rise with me wherever you are? Rise to your feet this morning. Thank you, Lord. I ask the worship team to come. 
We're just going to sing this song that years ago was written. Won't you, Lord, take a look at our hands? Everything we have, we say, God, take it. And then we take a stand between the living and the dead. Raise a righteous cry on behalf of our city. Raise a righteous cry on behalf of our families and our campuses, our schools, our communities. Let's do that, shall we? Let's worship Him.